0: Welcome back to Curious Combinations, an everything's unoriginal podcast. I'm AF Tanif, and today I'm covering Dark, season 2, Episode 7 and 8. We open with hauntings, not literal ones, figurative ones. Adam is being haunted by Marta, and I will point out that this still does allow the possibility for a switcheroo regarding his identity, as Bartas is also desperately hung up on her. Hannah is being haunted by Ulrich, Teen Jonas too is being haunted by Marta, Katerina is being haunted by Mikkel, half our cast is being haunted by someone or other, and it's very distracting from Adam's narration, for those of us who don't understand German, at least. I had to watch the scene twice, just to be sure that I wasn't misunderstanding something. I had this horrible moment of dread upon seeing Marta with Adam, because what if the lunatic had kidnapped her or something, and merely led his past selves to believe that she had died? and then I had to watch it again to actually read the subtitles. He's musing on the nature of people, pain, and desire, and it's the way he lingers over the St. Christopher medallion that makes me sure my tinfoil about him being Bartas pretending to be Jonas is just hopeless, wishful thinking on my part. The day before the apocalypse, 1954, Egon is shown the body of his elderly daughter. He doesn't know that it's his daughter, of course, but he does recognize her as the witch woman who spoke to him yesterday. Her apologetic speech the day before leads the cops to theorize that perhaps she's the accomplice, perhaps the mother of Ulrich, or whoever killed the boys, and had been holding Helge prisoner while Ulrich was imprisoned. It's as good a theory as they can be expected to come up with, really, considering all the information that they don't have and would be insane to guess. To try to corroborate their theory, Egon takes a photo of Crone Claudia to baby Helga. Who calls her the white devil and though this isn't terribly surprising i'm going to remind you all that i called it but Helgi offers up an ominous warning of what he thinks claudia's motives are the white devil wants to kill everyone as he understands it and though she's dead she hasn't even begun how very horror movie at the power plant claudia has been going over test results all night at first she's frightened that she might have lost track of time so badly as to miss the date of her father's death but she doesn't have to worry about that she's definitely going to get to see him before he dies because she's the one who's going to kill him. I called that too, though not on the podcast. No, I called this literally as I started watching the episode and you can see it in my reaction video if you're interested. That is available to $5 patrons right now. I said something to the effect of, I hope this isn't an ironic thing of Claudio working so hard to save him only to wind up being the one to kill him. And I think I jinxed her. Uh, Sorry about that, Claude. Back in 2020, Jonas wakes to discover that his mother has stolen his time machine. Surely his bedroom door has a lock? Like, he knows how much of a piece of shit she is. He just called her out on it in the previous episode. But now that she's been seen, she decides to double down on being the worst person in the fucking world. She takes the time machine and leaves everything and everyone in 2020 behind. As far as I can tell, she fully intends to never see her son again. Have I mentioned how much I hate Hannah? Meanwhile, Katarina decides to return to the caves, and Charlotte tells her husband what Noah told her. She is his daughter, her mother is still alive somewhere, or somewhen, and the world is going to end tomorrow. Only the people who are in the bunker when the end comes are going to survive. At the police station, Clausen is staring at an old photo of himself and a man who turns out to be his brother. As I suspected, this fucker is up to something, though it's nothing to do with time travel or Adam or Sigmundus, He's all about Alexander. His entire motivation for being in Vinden is to ferret out Alexander's secrets, which is why he's been focusing the missing people's investigation around Alexander all along. Because Clausen changed his name way back when. He's actually a Kohler, as in Alexander Kohler, as in the man whose identity, our Alexander, stole once upon a yesteryear. My assumption here is that our Alexander killed the other Alexander, but that's not necessarily true. The murder we know about involved two perpetrators, unless I'm recalling that incorrectly, and it's possible that the two perps were real and fake Alexander. I'd say that perhaps that's too unnecessarily complex, but what is this show if not as mind-bendingly complex as possible? Elsewhere, in 2020, Marta has the St. Christopher medallion that older Jonas gave her, which I will again point out means that it's possible for an Adam switcheroo. If Marta has the St. Christopher medal on her when she dies, and I'm not sure if she has it or if older Jonas does, then there's a chance that Bartas will find it on her corpse or something and keep it to remember her by while he assumes the Adam identity and tries to convince Jonas that he is future him. If I'm wrong here, and I do acknowledge that I almost certainly am, I worry that my continued references to this particular crackpot theory will be a bit annoying, but on the off chance that I'm right, I'm going to keep pointing out every single hint of potential support for this idea, because I really don't want Adam to be Jonas, you guys. It would, after all, explain bartos's absence in the Sikmundus scenes. In the next episode, we saw adult Jonas escape the apocalypse with Bartas, Francisca, and Magnus. Francisca and Magnus's future selves are working closely with Adam. Future Bartas is nowhere to be seen. All I'm saying is that I keep noticing little opportunities for trickery here, and that I am really still not emotionally okay with the whole Jonas grows up to be Adam thing. Perhaps it'll make more sense when I understand the specifics of Adam's plan, but for now I'm still struggling to truly believe that Jonas turns into Adam. I'm trusting that it's true, I just don't believe it yet. In any case, Bartosz and Marta are not getting along as of 2020. He's still testy about her ongoing affection for Jonas and she's pissed that he apparently knew all about this shit for months and didn't bother telling them. At Egon's house in the 80s, Claudia is trying to get her father away from the scene of his own impending death. She's acting fully unhinged, far too intense and incredibly rude. She's clearly overly stressed and increasingly frustrated and she is operating on zero sleep, but given her treatment of Regina last season? and what her father says to her right before his death, I really believe that she's just a fundamentally narcissistic character who isn't truly capable of caring for the people around her. But back at the 2020 power plant, Clausen is trying to pretend that a height discrepancy on some old documents is proof beyond a shadow of a doubt that Alexander is not who he says he is. And he's right, Alexander isn't who he says he is, but this isn't anything resembling proof. Clausen hasn't even actually measured Alexander, but he's decided that he can't possibly be five foot eight, and so he must have stolen Clausen's brother's identity. It's an extreme case of insane troll logic, and I cannot tell you how much I think that Clausen and Hannah are characters on par with one another. No logic, only id. They're batshit crazy, and if the two of them ever somehow got together, I think they could genuinely create a supervillain. New no tinfoil, maybe that's how we got Adam. Seriously, he arrests Alexander over, quote, two missing inches, and if lying about two extra inches were actually a prosecutable offense, about half of all male humans would probably have to go to prison. At least. Back at Hannah's house, someone's at the door. And though I didn't recognize the voice, Jonas certainly does. Marta barges in only to be startled by the presence of older Jonas, who really needs a shower and a shave at this point. She wants to know where Hannah is, and I have to reiterate that someone needs to teach these kids the whole stranger danger thing. Like, Hannah is missing, and there's this scraggly-looking stranger in her place who offers you a drink, notices that you're frightened of him, and assures you that he, quote, doesn't mean to be scary. That's an extremely dangerous situation to be in, and given how crazy older Jonas has been acting lately and how truly violently unhinged he's going to be acting very shortly, I am incredibly worried for Marta's safety here. She is going to die tomorrow, after all. But back in the 80s, Egon is going to his first cancer treatment and he's telling his daughter about all the mistakes he's made over the past 30 years, most of which seem to revolve around Ulrich. In fact, we're onto a flashback of one such mistake. Hannah is waiting for him in his office at the police station and she's decided to show off her acting chops once again. This woman is the lyingest of all liars to ever lie. Without so much as blinking, she says that she thinks the madman is her husband, and that she can't be sure from just a photo, so can she please see him in the psych ward? When Egon's reticent to let her, she pushes harder. If she's allowed to see him, perhaps that will loosen his lips and get him to confess. Also, her name is Katarina Nielsen, because nothing's holding her back from going full psycho at this point. Honestly, this is almost enough to make you wonder if it's not Ulrich she's obsessed with at all. Did she even like Ulrich before Katarina did? She tried to steal Katarina's husband, married Katarina's son, and has now assumed Katarina's name. Let's hope she doesn't try to escalate this any further, or else we're going to end up with her going full serial killer and trying to wear Katarina's face or something. Speaking of Katarina though, the angry mom in question is breaking into Hannah's house with a crowbar. She's shocked to find Marta with older Jonas, and she's none too delicate in telling Marta that Jonas is her nephew. It's another reminder that Katarina is a pretty awful mom. I don't care how mad she is here. That this is the way she tells her daughter that Marta's teen romance is actually surprise incest really tells you all you need to know about Katerina's care for Marta's emotional state. Like, sure, go ahead and traumatize the kid on purpose. That will really help. Katarina demands to know where the time machine is, and Jonas reveals that Hannah stole it. But Marta knows where to find another one, and the two women head out to retrieve it. At the police station, Clausen menaces Alexander with a gun because, I don't know, he's an idiot, I guess? The cops in this show are all complete buffoons, and Clausen is perhaps the buffooniest. I'm really glad he dies in the next episode, or at least I think he does. If it turns out that he somehow survived, even though Valar standing right beside him died, I'm gonna pitch a fit. The only interesting thing that really happens with Clausen in this episode, this whole season, honestly, is the reveal that he was sent to Vinden thanks to a mysterious note from a quote, friend, telling him that answers regarding his brother's disappearance could be found in the town. That explains why he volunteered to take over the missing people's case, but I'm mostly interested in finding out who that friend is. Someone from Sycamundus, I'm guessing, given that Clausen is integral to creating the unstable wormhole and triggering the apocalypse. The other good candidate, of course, is Claudia. Back in the 50s, Egon is driving Hannah to the jail. He asks her if she knows who the white devil is, and of course she doesn't. And in the 80s, Egon is also in a car with the white devil herself. They're dancing around the possibility of time travel, but Claudia is mostly concerned with the threat that Ulrich presents to her father. She believes, like the audience is presumably intended to believe, that Ulrich is the person most likely to kill him. At Charlotte's house, Charlotte and Peter are confronting the kids about their time travel, though it quickly turns around to be Francisca yelling at her mom and dad. But hey, guess what? The sex worker finally gets a name in this scene. Her name is Benny, and I cannot tell you how pleased I am that I can finally stop calling her The Sex Worker. I'm not pleased that it took the writers 17 episodes to finally give their trans sex worker character a name, but hey, at least they finally got there in the end. At the mental institution, Hannah convinces Egon to give her privacy for her conversation with Ulrich, and it is a huge misstep. Because Hannah is both lying to Egon, and she's not here to rescue Ulrich, either. She's here to test whether or not she should do something to try to rescue him. But let's be honest here. The fact of the matter is that she should. No question, period. He did not do what he is accused of, and if you want him to pay for what he did to Helga, fine. But that means prison, not this hell on earth. Because the conditions that Ulrich has been living in for the past six months or whatever are inhumane even for a fucking dog, let alone a person. They've got him drugged out of his mind and confined to a straitjacket, and they drag him out of his cage, excuse me, his cell, on what's essentially a leash. Now, don't get me wrong, I love a man on a leash, but not like this. This is just fucking sick, and that the depths of evil within Hannah allow her to leave the man she supposedly loves in this waking nightmare? I take back what I said earlier about Hannah's potential to mother a supervillain. Hannah is a fucking supervillain. She's one of the most mundanely, realistically evil people that I have ever seen portrayed in fiction. I hate her. And the thing that gets her to leave him there? It's his concern for his family. She leaves him to rot, presumably for the rest of his natural life, in some of the most horrific circumstances imaginable. Because he cares more for his wife and children than for her, his mistress. And he knows it, too. He knows it the very second she tells him that she can't remember him ever saying that he loved her. He tells her every single lie that he knows she wants to hear. But you cannot lie to a liar of her caliber. She sees through all of his promises to abandon his wife and forget his kids, and she abandons Ulrich just as she abandoned her son it doesn't even affect her. There is no emotion in her, no regret, no remorse, nothing, as she tells Egon that Ulrich isn't the man she was looking for. Again, this is serial killer shit, and at this point I honestly hope we get to see something awful happen to Hannah before the end of this show. And don't be careful what you wish for me, I want to see her get comeuppance, and I'll be satisfied with anything short of an ending that reads as violent misogyny on the writer's part. Other than that, fuck her up, I don't care anymore. At Katarina's house, Magnus brings the time machine to his mother and his sister. But none of them know how to work it. Older Jonas and Bartas are the only two left in 2020 that do. But that's not the most important thing to Marta right now. She's simply thrilled that her father and her brother are alive. In 1987, Egon is still trying to puzzle through the mystery surrounding Ulrich while Claudia rather cruelly tries to rush him into leaving with her. But her attitude gives her away. Egon realizes that she knows everything, that she's involved in it all, and that she isn't to be trusted. He tries to call the police station to tell them to begin searching the caves, and Claudia has finally been pushed to her breaking point. She's so frustrated with her father that her priorities become clear. His life is not more important to her than the scientific significance of the wormhole. She tries to force him to hang up the phone, and they grapple with the receiver and when she succeeds in ripping it from her father's grasp, he falls into the countertop and smashes open his head. Panicked, Claudia calls the German equivalent of 911 as her father bleeds out at her feet, only to hang up and quote herself. If she wants Regina to live, she thinks she has to sacrifice her father. She has no real reason to believe that this is true, and yet she lets her father die like this anyway. She doesn't do a thing to try to help him. He realizes in his dying moments that she's been the white devil all along and then he dies right before we cut back to his younger self who is in grave danger too as far as i'm concerned he and hannah are sharing cigarettes and smiles and if this bitch puts her hands on him oh my god i'm gonna lose my fucking mind Interestingly, Egon notes the connection between Katarina Nielsen and his former houseguest, Agnes Nielsen. Hannah says she doesn't know any Agnes, but it got me thinking. Where does Agnes Nielsen get her name? I assume she got it from her husband, but now I'm not convinced that there actually is a husband in the first place. If it's her maiden name, then I assume she got it from her parents. I dread to think that she could have somehow gotten it from Hannah, who, I must remind you, still has a time travel device and could go anywhere to do anything. Or anyone. I suppose now is as good a time as ever to offer up my latest theory on who Agnes and Noah's parents are. I had moved on from the notion that they were part of the knot, the notion, I mean, that they were descendants of our tangled-up Ulrich-Mickel-Jonas line. But what if I'm wrong? what if they're descendants of Ulrich after all? What if they're Magnus and Francisca's children? I mean, why not? It's not like the inherent incest is going to stop these writers. We find out in the next episode that Charlotte's mother is her own daughter, so why the fuck can't Tronti be his own great-whatever grandfather? Why can't we go ahead and make Charlotte's other daughter into Noah's mom? Why not tangle things up even fucking more? Let's go, guys. Everyone is related to everyone else. Though... On a more serious note, if that theory is correct, it might explain Tronti and Agnes's relationship. Agnes might have never had a husband, and Tronti might not actually be her son. He might be her ancestor, and she adopted him in order to bring him to Vinden in order to create her own family line. Mind screws left and right. So we end our episode with Claudia coming home to have a bit of a Lady Macbeth moment, followed up by a repeat of Hannah's terror at a version of Jonas unexpectedly entering her home. Because teen Jonas barges into Claudia's place, and though she threatens him with a frying pan, he's not intimidated. He knows what Claudia's just done, and he tries to comfort her. According to him, Crone Claudia says it doesn't have to happen that way next time, and, well, this is another thing I kind of accidentally called, but I'll get into that at the end of the next episode's recap, I think. So let's get the next recap started. In 2052, Elizabeth digs up an old trunk of keepsakes. It's her photos of her family, and we get a really gross, mind-screwy reveal. Elizabeth is Charlotte's daughter. Charlotte is Elizabeth's daughter, as in, she conceived her own mother with her own grandfather. Marta and Jonas's relationship doesn't seem so gross now, does it? Seriously, this is sick, to the point of me refusing to even interact with what I was seeing at first. My only thought was, no, no, that can't be right, no, please don't tell me that's right, no, thank you, no." But on to the granddaughter fucker in question. Noah is talking to his own future self, discussing time loops and paradoxes and motivation, and I'd say that Magnus and Francisca's treatment of adult Noah here puts a bit of a damper on my theory that they're his parents. Back in 2020, Jonas steals Hannah's stolen gun and leaves her house to go get himself into trouble. Nothing he does in this episode is rational or wise, and if teen Jonas grew into adult Jonas two episodes ago, I think it's safe to say that this is the episode when adult Jonas takes his first steps toward becoming Adam if indeed he does. Teen Jonas explains some things to Claudia. He tells her about his future attempt to close the wormhole, which is interesting, actually. If Jonas knows here that the wormhole doesn't close thanks to his older self's meddling, we have two options for how to proceed. Either this Jonas will remember that it doesn't work and will change things, which seems impossible given everything we've seen so far, or he'll become convinced sometime over the next 30 odd years that Claudia is wrong somehow and that his attempt to close the wormhole will actually work, even if it failed last time. According to Jonas, it's the former that's the truth. Apparently Claudia told him that he needs to change something small in order to create a larger change? Changing a little detail will somehow mean that his next attempt to close the wormhole will be successful? That doesn't actually make any sense, of course, and doesn't at all fit with the laws of the Dark Universe as we've seen them so far. But we do know that everyone thinks Claudia lied to and manipulated Jonas, so it's perfectly possible that this is the prime example of the lies and manipulation. Anyway, at Bartos's house, he's finally telling his dying mother about seeing her dead mom last fall. I'm not sure why he kept this secret this whole time, but I guess I'm glad he finally told the truth. Now, before we get into the next scene, I do just want to take a second to remind everyone what happened last season finale. When Jonas went into the tunnels to destroy the wormhole, an enormous sphere built in the sky. Regina and Alexander witnessed it. There has been no mention of this event since then. It's an enormous dangling plot thread. I don't know what to think about it, but I just want to make it clear that I haven't forgotten about it. I still expect something to come of that moment. But speaking to Alexander, he's still being menaced by Clausen's petty ass. Instead of Clausen acting like an adult and taking his warrant to the place he's actually entitled to search, Clausen opts for a little detour so that he can taunt Alexander over his newfound right to tear the power plant apart. But search warrants, American search warrants at least, don't actually work that way, but okay, I guess. At Marta's house, Jonas shows up more unhinged than ever. He says it's his fault that things go wrong and that everything is going to happen again in a few hours. The only way for Marta to survive today is for her to go to the bunker right now and to stay there until the danger is over. But Marta is not interested in listening to this scraggly, sweaty, ranting man who's 30 years older than her, who touches her without asking, who is technically her relative, and who threatens to shoot her if she doesn't obey him. He's obviously not actually going to shoot her, not until he's 33 years older, but Marta's right not to risk it. Beneath the bridge, Bartaz is freaking out because his friends don't have the device and he doesn't have enough information. And Francisca gets in a really harsh accidental dig. Given that Noah didn't really tell him what to do, she posits that maybe getting the device to her and Magnus was all he was ever meant to do. It's a horrible thing to say, and it sure does some pretty awful damage to Bartos's already fragile psyche. And you guys, it's moments like this that make me find it way more believable for Bartos to grow up into Adam than for Jonas to become him. Again, I'm trusting that Adam really is Jonas, I just don't believe it yet, I don't feel it, and I see enough wiggle room left for it to be a trick. I'm desperate for it to be a trick. But in Hannah's house, Katerina arrives to look for Jonas. She doesn't find him, but she does find his cave exploring gear. In the caves, Jonas takes Claudia to the tunnel. He's going to open it again. Presumably, this is what older Jonas means when he says that the apocalypse is his fault. And it's here that we get a split-second but pretty awful reveal. Jonas, as we see him now, is a full year older than the Jonas who left his father behind on the night that Michael killed himself. He spent a full year with Crone Claudia, in which she taught him everything he thinks he needs to know about the future and the past. He says that she told him Adam and Sigmundus plan to create a new world, and that Claudia and this version of Jonas intend to save this world. The use of the word world is interesting here. In the past, I had been interpreting the world as human civilization. Instead, I think I should be interpreting the world as the universe itself, but more on that at the end of the recap. At the bunker, Jonas forces Marta in at gunpoint. She's never been here before, and so of course she's horrified. This place looks like a serial killer's lair, and it kind of is. Jonas just isn't the serial killer in question. He's forced to confirm for Marta that he really is her nephew, and I feel so bad for the poor girl. He tells her not to leave the bunker, no matter what, and he locks her inside. But of course she's getting out. Things happen the same way they always do, and Marta is going to die, no matter what. At the police station, Voller confesses to Charlotte about the nuclear waste buried at the power plant, which means that she finally understands the last piece of the puzzle. The secret waste is going to trigger the apocalypse, and though Voller has no fucking clue what is going on, he follows Charlotte. Back at Charlotte's house, Peter can't get a hold of her. It's a terrible time for her to revert back to ignoring his calls. Not knowing what else to do, Peter takes Elizabeth to the bunker and tries to reassure her that their missing family members, Charlotte and Franziska, will be okay. But they won't make it to the bunker at the power plant clausen is busy being a nosy piece of shit he demands to get inside the room where the secret waste was illegally buried and he's not taking no for an answer he won't take no for an answer later either when he wants to break up the concrete but we're not quite there yet at hannah's house katarina tries to convince Jonas to help her bring mickle back He tries to convince her that it's impossible to change the past, or, for that matter, what he knows of the future. But he lets us in on a new bit of his motivation here. He tells us that even if he can't stop himself from becoming Adam, he's going to stop Adam. I assume this means that he's going to try to kill Adam. And I think that this, taken in conjunction with Adam's complete lack of fear later when Noah points a gun at him, adds up to the strong possibility that Jonas is going to succeed in murdering his future self, only to become him anyway. Honestly, maybe killing Adam is the very thing that turns Jonas into Adam. I don't know how exactly that would work. I don't know why killing Adam would make Jonas jump the shark in terms of his morality, but it makes as much sense as any of my other theories. But speaking of people who want to kill Adam, Noah is about to give it his best shot. He shows Adam the missing pages from the journal and accuses Adam of waging a war against humanity. Adam taunts him even though he's staring down the barrel of a gun. Adam gives him some truly heinous so-called wisdom about how people are only truly free if they have no emotion or interpersonal connections and if they are ready to sacrifice everything they once loved. And he breaks the news to Noah about Elizabeth being his own granddaughter. It's kind of a pointless cruelty to hit him with in the last moments of his life, though I do wonder if we're going to be seeing him again. Perhaps he'll show up in another universe. Though, of course, his younger self is still running around. In any case, this Noah is shot with his own gun by his own sister, and it's kind of a lot. He's an awful person and a genuine threat to society, but what a way to go. I feel like a good villain deserves a better send-off than that, and Noah has been a pretty good villain. Down in the caves in the 80s though, Jonas is starting up the time machine and it's doing something he's never seen it do before. Time travel has historically been a blue-black phenomenon, but now something blue-white is coming out of the machine. I wonder if there's any significance to the shape of this particular bit of CGI. It's very reminiscent of a DNA's double helix. In the bunker, Marta sees those same blue-white particles start to swirl around in front of her and I don't think anything really comes of that within this episode, so it's something to keep in mind for the future, I guess. Anyway, Katerina heads to the caves is the moment that older Jonas tells her the wormhole has opened again, and Peter and Elizabeth's arrival at the bunker provides Marta with the chance to escape. At Katerina's house, Bartas tells Magnus and Francisca that Noah was right. The apocalypse is coming, and it's all because of Jonas. Who emerges from the caves alongside Claudia. He gives her the time machine and tells her to take it to the bunker. He's not coming with her. He's going to find his mother, who isn't there, and Marta, who's going to wind up dead. Francisca, meanwhile, has finally gotten her father's messages. Peter tells her to come to the bunker immediately, but she and Magnus and Bartas decide instead to wait in case Katerina and Marta show up. Regina, meanwhile, is on the phone arguing with the police about her husband when her missing mother shows up. If I were Regina in this moment, I would fully believe that I was dying. Not because I would think that my mother was any kind of psychopomp or something like that, but because I'd assume I was hallucinating as my brain died. But back at Hannah's house, in walks young Noah. He tells adult Jonas they're going to be friends, but that Jonas will ultimately betray Noah. Y'all remember that thing I said about Jonas and Noah surely being this fandom's big slash ship? Yeah, this is just going to be more fuel on that fire. Like, Noah's literally holding his hand while he tells him that he's Noah's savior? I personally don't ship it, but I know ship bait when I see it. But Noah does have a more immediate message to deliver. He instructs Jonas to save Bartas, Magnus, and Francisca, and later to save Noah and Agnes. Apparently, the prophecy demands it, and somehow this is going to save Marta. Personally, I fucking doubt it. But anyway, Katerina has a plan of her own. Well, maybe not a plan. An intention, I guess. She's headed into the caves, and she's going to bring back her son. Or at least she's going to try. In the future, Elizabeth crosses into the dead zone. In the past, Adam suits up and enters the 1921 wormhole. At the bunker, Peter and Elizabeth are shocked to see Regina and Claudia, and while Claudia doesn't recognize them, Peter certainly recognizes her. At Jonas's house, our favorite traumatized boy finally runs into his favorite aunt. She gives him the perfect match lines, and they have a very happy fleeting reunion before Adam interrupts and shoots Marta dead. Adam tells Jonas that he will carry this pain his entire life until he's finally ready to let it and Marta go. It is certainly something, and Adam's motives remain largely an enigma to me. At the power plant, Charlotte tries to stop Clausen from opening up the nuclear waste barrels, but nothing is stopping that moron. The barrels open, revealing that inky black fluid that we've seen soaking Michael's specter, and thanks to what everyone is simultaneously doing in the past, present, and future, it's about to turn into an unstable wormhole that will spell doom for all of Vinden, if not all the world. Jonas swoops in and saves Bartas, Magnus, and Francisca before the shockwave hits them, and Charlotte sees her daughter. Her mother in what's a very weird though quite touching moment before appearing to get pulled through the wormhole down in the caves katarina sees those white blue particles floating into the tunnels and she follows them while noah joins the quartet in the bunker he and elizabeth share a look which is disgusting given both the age gap and the paradoxical incest but sure katarina opens the tunnel door and there is no familiar wind this time instead there is a bright yellow light and that's the last we see of her this season Above the power plant, an enormous blue-black sphere forms, touches down around the power plant, and explodes outward to encompass and destroy the entire town. But before it can hit Jonas's house, he gets his worst shock yet. Marta lies dead beside him, and then walks into the room. She pulls a different model of time machine from her pocket, this one glowing yellow instead of blue-black, and she tells him that she is not from a different time. She's from a different world. And I called that shit too, thank you very much. Granted, I didn't actually believe it when I said it, I kind of thought I was joking, but I did say it. Maybe Claudia has seen other timelines by virtue of seeing some other iteration of the universe. I said that shit. You heard me. So, now that I've gloated a bit, let's get into what this actually means, shall we? I'd wager that it means there really is no fixing what I'm going to be calling Vinden A. Vinden A is caught in a time loop from which it cannot be freed. I think that in Season 3, we're going to be exploring Vinden B. I think that while the blue glowing devices are for time jumping, the yellow glowing devices are for universe jumping. I think that Marta B and young Jonas are going to be heading into Vinden B, and that Katarina's journey through the tunnels is going to take her to Vinden B, too. It answers the question I've been about what the show could possibly do to bring back, for example, the actor who plays middle-aged Ulrich. If not for the universe hopping, I can't think of any more reason for him to appear in the story. But I also couldn't really see the show entirely dispensing with the guy that used to be the Deuteragonist, so I'd wager we're going to see him in Vinden B. I also expect that Vindenby is going to be the universe that Claudia was talking about when she said that she'd seen a world without Jonas. Marta B has a pretty cliche dystopian doppelganger thing going on here. What I'm thinking is that Marta B has been sent by Claudia to bring Jonas to Vindenby so that Jonas can eventually bring Claudia to Vindenby so that everybody can get on the same page as far as the whole the world's not better without Jonas in it thing goes. And then the ultimate end of the show, I imagine that's going to have to be something that Vinden A and Vinden B have to work together in some capacity to create and that Adam is going to be working against this outcome while Claudia is working toward it. Maybe there's some kind of emerging of the two universes thing that's going to happen in the end? That could definitely tie into the kaleidoscope thing that's going on in the opening credits. And the introduction of a Vinden B implies the existence of a potential Vinden C and Vinden D and so forth, and that is huge news for the idea of destabilizing our stable time loop sort of. The logic is still a bit iffy, but follow me for a second. No one within the loop can destroy it. Someone like Jonas cannot go back to save Mikkel, because saving Mikkel would mean that Jonas never existed to go back to save Mikkel, which means that Mikkel isn't saved, which means that Jonas would be born, which means that we're lost in a never-ending knot of circular arguments on par with any good logic bomb capable of making fictional computers explode. But when you introduce the concept of alternate or even infinite universes, well, now we have a whole new set of rules to work with. How do the alternate universes work. How separate are they from each other? How are they created? Do they splinter? If they splinter now we're talking, we might not be able to truly knock Vinden A off its looping course, but we might be able to create a splinter universe branching off from it with the help of someone from Vinden B. That way, all points of the loop technically still exist. If we keep Vinden A and get someone from Vinden B's help to change the loop such that we create a Vinden AA branch off, we could theoretically save the people of Vinden A that way. Vinden A would still have to exist because it and Vinden B, in this scenario, would have to be casual scaffolding for it. But a splinter universe would allow versions of everyone alive at the branching off point to exist within Vinden AA, which, if done right, would be a world without the loop that causes the apocalypse. Even better, the introduction of the universe hopping devices would allow everyone trapped in Vinden A to migrate elsewhere, provided their absence in the universe doesn't destabilize the loop. Or hell, maybe the show will do something else entirely, I really have no idea. I'm sure we're going to Vin and B, but we could do anything here. We could meet anyone, could learn anything, could do literally anything. And I'm really looking forward to finding out what happens next. So, I enjoyed this season. I think I enjoyed season one a little bit more, but I'm still very much enjoying this show, and I am extremely optimistic about where season three is going to go. It being the end, there is a lot more room for stumbling, but this show has earned so much goodwill from me. It has, it really has my faith at this point that the writers are capable of handling everything that they're dealing with. They stumble sometimes when they try to get into the technical details. I will never forget some of the sillier things, uh, like, you know, talking about, the universe operating on a 33-year cycle no it doesn't but for the most part they are using their pseudoscience to create concrete rules that they're actually following so i am optimistic that they are going to continue to do so as we move forward so with all of that said I am very pleased with the season. On the day that I am recording this, I am going to be getting into season 3 very, very soon. I will probably sit down to watch the first two episodes this afternoon. If you are interested in watching my reactions to those two episodes, you're going to want to head to my Patreon, where for $5 a month you get access to all of my unedited or minimally edited reaction videos to everything that I watch, including Dark, Umbrella Academy, Bly Manor, Midnight Mass, Squid Game, and on and on. If you are interested in helping me decide what it is that I'm going to be watching next, after dark you can subscribe to any tier one dollar or up to get access to all of my polls determining what it is that i watch from week to week and if you aren't interested in the patreon it would also be appreciated if you could leave a rating or a review on your podcatcher of choice to talk about the show on social media or to tell a friend that you think might enjoy the show anything and everything is very much appreciated and thank you of course so much for listening